Well, something I'm grateful for is for my colleagues, Pastor Jake and Pastor Travis. We have commented at times with a little bit of amazement that we actually like one another. And we do. And I know that I always benefit from their words, their instruction, their counsel. I value it a great deal. So a few few weeks ago, uh, Travis approached me and said, so during the Advent season, are we going to stay in Ephesians? Are we going to take a little detour out of Ephesians into something that maybe is a little bit more appropriate for Advent? And I said, well, let's, let's do that. Travis loves Advent. He loves Christmas. And he's going to be preaching, actually, Christmas Eve morning. So we're looking forward to that. I said, well, Travis, let's do something else. And he said, well, can I choose? I said, you go ahead and choose. So he, he chose Gospel of Luke, and he broke the passage up to the various passages. So we begin a series of Advent messages this morning, and I've chosen to entitle these messages, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, because all of these messages are basically about the arrival of this long-expected Savior of ours, Jesus. If you're using the notes, they have changed a little bit. Uh, There is a two-point sermon this morning, not three. Uh, The notes are Elizabeth blessing, and then second, Mary magnifying. Uh, the third point, I think, fits well as subpoints under the second point. But hear now the word of the Lord. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we would ask now that you would bless us with your spirit. We would pray that you would give us minds that are able to comprehend in some way these wonders that are provoking 
rejoicing in the hearts of Elizabeth and Mary and, yes, even John the Baptist in utero in his mother's womb. Father, help us to comprehend the wonder of what you have done in sending us your Savior. We are familiar with these passages of Scripture, many of us. We might well wonder if there's anything new that we can gain from these passages. But, Father, there's a wealth of blessing that we can gain as we come to these passages time and time again. I pray that you would bless this word in our hearts in that way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in C.S. Lewis's beloved fantasy, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we are introduced, aren't we, to the magical world of Narnia, which we learn is under the spell of a wicked witch, Jadis. And as a result, Narnia exists in this continual, deathly state where it is always winter and it is never Christmas. But then... The great lion Aslan, who is a picture of Christ, enters the realm, and as a result, the land undergoes this wonderful change, doesn't it? The snow melts, the brooks begin to gurgle once again with water, the birds sing, the trees leaf once again, and the flowers bloom in multitudes of colors and scents so that the whole world of Narnia sings with new life of an eternal springtime. That's the picture we have at this point in Luke's gospel. That's what confronts us at this point in Luke's gospel. For hundreds of years, the land of Israel has been enduring a kind of perpetual spiritual winter. Many of the old signs of God's favor are gone. David's great throne and kingdom are just the things of distant memory. The voice of the prophet has been silenced now for centuries. Most in Israel at this point are hopeless and spiritually indifferent. But 400 years before this time, Malachi had promised the Messiah would come like a son of righteousness with healing and new life. And during the months... Leading up to our passage now, messianic breezes have been blowing and they have been heralding the springtime of God's favor once again. The angel Gabriel announced the miraculous conception of John. The elderly Zechariah and Elizabeth who had been barren her whole life. And then six months after that, Gabriel came and announced the supernatural conception of Jesus. To a young virgin named Mary, the son born to her would be called the Son of the Most High, and he would reign on his father David's throne forever. So now, Mary is hurrying to be with her relative Elizabeth. Only Elizabeth will be able to understand and support her in her very vulnerable circumstances. Theologians call this meeting between these two women the visitation. And what a precious time it is now as these two women, one young and one elderly, embrace one another. They share with one another with rapt amazement what God is doing. It is springtime in Israel once again. God's long-awaited Messiah has come. 
what love God is showing, what faithfulness He is representing to Israel, how many promises, how many prophecies is God now fulfilling? And so Elizabeth and amazingly her son John in utero and Mary offer praises to God. You see, the salvation of sinners by God's grace through Mary's son is God's highest glory. Christmas is God's most surprising grace of all. And and when we understand the significance of this meeting, and when we understand the relevance of what they are talking about here to our lives, our hearts are lifted up with Elizabeth and Mary and John in praise to God. But also, we are challenged to live different lives. I hope we see that here this morning. What do we see in this passage? First is this, Elizabeth's blessing. Earlier in this gospel, Luke records that Mary is betrothed to a man named Joseph, the late New Testament scholar, Jehoiakim Jeremias, said the usual age for betrothal was 12 years of age. And we also know that after the betrothal, it was customary for the bride to live with her parents until she was then transferred to her husband's home. So at this point, Mary hasn't even reached her adult frame. She is still just a young girl in many respects, but God has chosen this young girl to be the mother of our Lord. And don't we see in this how precious our children are in the eyes of the Lord? And don't we see as well that we must take their nurture and their discipleship with the utmost seriousness? Now, Gabriel has told Mary of her supernatural conception of Jesus, so Luke says Mary goes now with haste. She is rushing into the hill country of Judah to the home where Elizabeth lives. That journey may have taken three or four days. Earlier in this gospel, Luke says Mary submitted in faith to God's will that she should have this awesome privilege of bearing the Lord, but we should probably assume that Mary is far from being happy at this point. Mary is now an unwed mother. Israel at this point is not warmly sympathetic to unwed mothers. And so from that standpoint, Mary's life is basically ruined. It's ruined socially. It's ruined relationally. Mary has submitted to God's will, but but God hasn't given her any further details. He hasn't filled her in with how things are going to work out. And isn't that how God's will often confronts us? He makes His will clear to us, but He doesn't give us all the whys and the wherefores. And so, because Gabriel had told Mary about Elizabeth, her cousin's remarkable conception, Mary is hurrying to be with her. She is filled with wonder. She's filled with amazement of what God is doing in her and in her cousin Elizabeth. But Mary is not rejoicing, probably. She is facing a challenge that is deeply troubling and emotionally draining. And so Mary arrives, and as soon as Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, the baby within her leaps for joy. And Elizabeth at that point is filled with the Holy Spirit and carried on by the Spirit. Elizabeth blesses Mary, and Elizabeth blesses the son that Mary is carrying. Elizabeth 
calls Mary's son, my Lord. I mean, what a wonder. And what do we hear in Elizabeth's blessing? Well, the first is, this is the blessing of fellowship. Now, here's something I think that's very important. This is an important observation. It's only within Mary's fellowship with Elizabeth that God begins now to fill in more of the blanks for Mary. It's only within fellowship and through Elizabeth's spirit-inspired words that things begin to click now for Mary. When, When Mary receives the shocking announcement of her unwed status, Mary doesn't just sit down. She doesn't feel miserable and lonely and vulnerable. Instead, she seeks out fellowship with Elizabeth. And as she does, things begin to click for her. Mary is given insight. More pieces of the puzzle of what God is doing start to fall into place. And isn't that the same way for us? You see, God has created us and he has saved us for fellowship with one another. You and I need one another this much. Our spiritual lives are impoverished without fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, how serious a matter is this? It's this serious. Right now, our brothers and sisters in lands where Christians are persecuted are risking their lives to be with one another. Now, can't they fellowship with the Lord by themselves? Can't they do it in private? Of course they can. But they risk their lives to worship the Lord and share with one another and pray together and sing together. They recognize more than we often do here in the independently-minded West that a member of the body of Christ cannot enjoy vital fellowship with the Lord apart from fellowship with other members of the body of Christ. And so I would simply say, as an encouragement to you, whether it's a Sunday school class or a Bible study or a connect group, whether it's the choir or the men's or women's fellowship, you and I, we all need a place where we can connect to other like-minded Christians. God has given you something of value to share with others. And you also need the prayers, and you need the prayers of others. You need the words of encouragement, which they have received from God to share with you. Just as Mary did with Elizabeth, again, how serious is this? As serious as spiritual life and death. If you choose to go it alone, my friend, if you choose to go rogue, you will shrivel up and you will die spiritually. An arm severed from its body dies. The limb that is severed from the trunk dies. We need fellowship with one another that badly. We need words of encouragement from one another. We need the prayers of one another. We see here the blessing of fellowship. And we see here the blessing of faith. On the one hand, Elizabeth blesses Mary's faith, doesn't she? Mary had expressed that to the angel Gabriel. Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. But, but what else is, is Elizabeth doing at this point? Elizabeth is strengthening. She is supporting Mary's faith when it's probably sagging under the weight of her concerns. Mary's faith is strengthened by how as she greets Elizabeth, I mean, it's just amazing. Elizabeth's son, John, leaps for joy in her Womb, because Mary is carrying the Lord whom John will herald as the Lamb of God when he has grown. 
Not yet born, already John prophesies, wrote Maximus, Bishop of Turin. And while still in the enclosure of his mother's womb, confesses the coming of Christ with movements of joy. This visitation wasn't just for Mary and Elizabeth, also for their sons, Jesus and John. What a wonder. I mean, but also what a blessing to Mary's faith. Doesn't, doesn't a God capable of these kinds of, of wonders have Mary's situation well in hand? Of course he does. Within this meeting, God is blessing and nurturing Mary's faith. And by the way, I have to add this. You know, as a young person, I was largely indifferent to the matter of abortion until God saved me. And then I was confronted with this passage and others in the Bible. My friend, isn't this a sobering passage for anyone who countenances abortion? Now, my friends, I say these words with the deepest compassion. I say these words with the deepest compassion. Abortion has been a matter of life here in America for decades and decades. And so I would say there's probably nobody here today whose life has not been touched by abortion on some level. And maybe that some who are listening to my words right now have undergone an abortion. Or again, it may be that, that friends or family members that we love have, have undergone an abortion. And we know that people get abortions for a variety of reasons. Some, some get them in ignorance. They don't fully comprehend what is involved. Others may get one out of fear of economic peril or... Perhaps the pressures of a boyfriend or a family member. It may be that others did it knowing full well about passages like these. But my friends, regardless of the reasons, regardless of the reasons, the Savior born of us of Mary brings forgiveness and He brings healing. He opens a new chapter for those who receive Him. Isn't one of the greatest gifts of Christmas that? Malachi prophesied, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. That's the gift we have in receiving this sun. But John vaults in his mother's womb and Elizabeth undergoes this elevation of soul. The prophetic spirit seizes her now and she proclaims, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Mary had believed, but when her faith was faltering, God blessed her with renewed faith and confidence in him through Mary and her infant son, John. Elizabeth, John, Mary, each one of these shows us how we should respond to Jesus Christ. And my friends, living on the backside of Christ's death and resurrection as we do, we have far greater reasons to praise Jesus' birth than these individuals could at this point. C.S. Lewis put it this way in his book, The Four Loves. Listen to his words. They're very wise. Lewis says, Love anything... And your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. 
not even to an animal or a pet. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. In that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to become vulnerable. And the son of Mary, whom Elizabeth blesses, is God's son who, in taking on human flesh now, has made himself vulnerable. He's made himself vulnerable to hurt and injury. He's made himself breakable now. Isaiah foresaw it, didn't he? He said he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. To be blessed is to be strengthened. It's to be repaired. It is to be healed. And if you would receive this son who became vulnerable for you and was crushed for you under the weight of God's wrath and justice for your sins, you will be blessed. You will be healed. You will have God as your father working all things together for your good. We see Elizabeth blessing. And finally we see Mary magnifying. Following Elizabeth's words, Mary breaks now into song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Church history is called Mary's song. Magnificat, magnificat is Latin for magnify. And and Mary's song is the first of four hymns in Luke's gospel related to our Savior's incarnation. Graham Scroggy rightly called these biblical Christian hymns in Luke's gospel the last of the Hebrew psalms and the first of the Christian hymns. But don't these hymns remind us that music and singing are some of God's greatest gifts to us and that the gospel must be sung? And it's been that way since the very beginning when according to the Lord's words to Job, the Lord said the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, biblical scholars are noted for making some really wildly stupid statements at times. And, and, and some have actually said this young girl like Mary couldn't possibly have composed a masterpiece like the Magnificat. But doesn't that overlook the doctrine of inspiration? Peter said no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And isn't that what we see here? Maybe Mary composed her hymn spontaneously in response to Elizabeth's greetings, or perhaps Mary had been composing it as she made her way from her home in Nazareth to Elizabeth's home. But you see, either way, this is Mary's song, and this song is rich with phrases and allusions to passages from, get this, Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1st and 2nd Samuel, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. I mean, you could say that Mary is a perfect illustration of Paul's exhortation to the Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's what we see here. Mary had been raised on the scriptures, and so these scriptures that she had been raised on wonderfully at this point tuned her heart to sing praises, praises of faith, 
praises of hope in God when her trying circumstances required it of her. And don't you and I see that the best way to train our children to glorify God is by studying and singing the Word of God. Now, there's an awful lot in the Magnificat, but I think we can boil it down to these two essential truths. First, God exalts the humble. God exalts the humble. Our mighty God reaches down in mercy and he lifts the humble to greatness. Have you noticed in the scriptures how God is not a respecter of people as we are prone to be? He isn't. I mean, for example, have you noticed how women-centric the incarnation and the resurrection narratives are? I mean, do you realize that women and not men are the very center of these stories? For example, in the history of the resurrection, who was the very first person to know that Jesus had been raised from the dead? Who was the first? Mary Magdalene, all people. This formerly deranged woman from, God, from whom the Lord Jesus had cast out seven demons. Women are the first people to see Jesus risen from the dead. And in the incarnation, the annunciation comes to a woman. God penetrates the world through the womb of this poor, illiterate, unwed Jewish girl, the first theological reflection group, trying to make sense out of what's going on here is Mary and Elizabeth. You see, I share that with you because Luke wants us to see that. He thinks it's very significant because at this point in history, women had a very low status. They were marginalized. They were oppressed. They were not even considered reliable witnesses in a court of law. And yet... It's almost humorous, isn't it? And yet, the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection and his nativity were women. Now, here's our point. God is not a respecter of persons as you and I are. He does great things for anyone who will honor him. In every generation, he does great things for people who fear him which means those who worship him with reverence and all. Maybe some listening to me right now are young. Maybe you are economically challenged like Mary was. Maybe you are struggling with sickness or some physical limitation. Maybe you are in a low condition spiritually or emotionally. But if so, my friend, don't complain against God. And don't rage against your misfortune. Instead, humble yourself under God's authority and control of your circumstances. Trust in Him. Put your hope in this God who does wonderful things. Because it's just as the Bible promises. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. And then God humbles the proud. The Son of God was born to Mary to establish God's rule and kingdom with power, and that means this Son that we celebrate at Christmas has, has come to overthrow every proud nation and to humble every proud heart. You see, God alone deserves the glory. 
And here's what we mean. God must humble the pride of intellect. He must humble the pride of position. He must humble the pride of wealth. You see, in Christ, God takes all these usual ways that we judge greatness and He turns them right upside down on their heads. The person He exalts is the person who humbles His proud heart and seeks His mercy and serves Him as Lord. I mean, we see this all through the Gospel of Luke. It's the rich man who goes to hell while the poor man is carried into God's presence. The prayers of the self-righteous Pharisee are denied. It's the sinful tax collector who goes home justified. As Jesus said, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, Christmas is the end of snobbishness. Christmas is the end of thinking that you are better than someone else because you see the birth of Christ tells you that you could never get to heaven on your own regardless of your intellect, regardless of your wealth, regardless of your status or achievements or respectability or goodness. Oh, my friends, we must repent of that kind of thinking because you see God humbles those who seek their identity in those kinds of worldly things. Christmas is telling you that you could never get to heaven on your own. God had to come to you in Christ your Savior. Christmas is telling us that people who are saved are not those who have arisen through their own ability to be what God wants them to be. Instead, salvation comes to those who are willing to admit how weak and needy they really are before God. God satisfies people who are hungry for Him. But my friends, when we stuff ourselves with the pleasures of this life, we feel no need for Him and He has nothing to give us. If we are too proud to admit our need of God as a beggar needs bread, He will send us away empty. But you see, if we have a heart that hungers after God, if we long for forgiveness of our sins, if we thirst after the knowledge of God, if we crave eternal life in Christ, then God will satisfy us with His grace. You see, because God exalts every humble one who receives a son of Mary. And having this son who made himself vulnerable for us, we can sing praises and thanksgivings with Mary and Elizabeth. Praise be to God for his grace to sinners like us. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, your son, born of Mary, the one whom Malachi foresaw and heralded as the son of righteousness who comes with healing in his wings. Father, I pray that we would embrace this greatest gift of all, Jesus, as our Savior and as our Lord. May we recognize Him as our Savior as Mary did. May we recognize and honor Him as Lord as Elizabeth did. And as we do, open up a new chapter in our lives. And Father, humble us. Humble all of these proud tendencies in our minds and hearts. Help us put all these things away. And Father, I pray for any here who think that their circumstances 
have humbled them beyond the reach of your grace and help. Oh, Lord, I pray. Lift their hearts up in faith and hope in you. For you exalt the humble who trust in you. We offer our prayers to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.